Hi there, how are you doing? My name is Paddy Murphy. I'm the writer and director of The Three Don'ts and The Perished. And I'm just here to say a massive congratulations to Strong Language Violence Scenes Podcast. Been listening since the first episode. Love these guys. They're amazing. Can't believe they've hit number 100. Thank you so much for giving us all a place to come on and talk about the shit movies that we love. Uh, in my case... I See, we don't think they're shit movies ourselves, but my episode was Jason Goes to Hell, so you should definitely check that out. Uh, and check out the one from the director of Jason Goes to Hell about cruising. This is an amazing podcast. Huge thanks to Mitch and Andy. Love you guys to the moon and back. And here's to 100 more. Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Welcome to Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. As ever, I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, sometimes filmmaker, desperately unfunny. And joining us tonight, he is the author of, amongst other things, the remaking The Boy and Curse of Carnage. It's Clay McLeod Chapman. Clay, hello. Hello. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks very much for taking the time, man. We appreciate it. How are you? How is uh, lockdown life treating you? Are you thriving? Are you coping? I am alive. I am healthy. I have two boys who are basically feral children living in the walls of our house at this point. So they may come screaming in at any moment. I'll just have to cattle prod them back into the closet. And uh, oh, that's, yes. that seems fair. Yeah, that seems right. I've got a seven month old who may intrude with screaming at any given point. So uh, yeah, it's, a, it's another present threat. Oh my God! How are you? How are you managing to survive? At what, I mean, that's intense. A lot of uh, desperate shushing between half past seven and eight o'clock at night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't have any children. I just have two flatmates that I'm kind of assuming won't come barging in. <laughs> we hope, anyway. Uh, Clay, you have uh, gone for student bodies tonight. Yes. Why this one? You know, I I pick student bodies because I I feel as if I'm going to come clean and admit that it is probably the first quote unquote slasher film that I saw as a kid because <laughs> I I I I'm going to be totally fuzzy on this story, but I do remember seeing it as a child at a point where it was totally inappropriate to and you know prior mm -hmm. to Halloween, prior to Friday the Thirteenth. You know, I didn't I didn't get the references that they were mocking in this film, but I saw it as the the kind of first and the the opening segment to this day has just seared itself into my my uh, subconscious. And I just can't forget that that kind of opening number of uh, the, the babysitter who invites, you know, her boyfriend over and the phone calls are suddenly coming in from the, the, the house. And, you know, <laughs> they, they go upstairs to have premarital sex. And, you know, there's no way that I'm going to defend this movie and say it's an actually a good movie. But it is <laughs> it's utter depravity and it's just grotesquerie like it's just lowest common denominator i mean even in that kentucky fried movie airplane naked mm -hmm. gun kind of lampooning style like it just scrapes the bottom of the barrel 
But for, uh, uh, I mean, I had to be, I mean, what, 81 at that point, I was probably four or five years old when this movie came out. And, you know, I I don't know when it popped up on, on television, but it just so happened to see it. Like I crossed, you know, streams with this, this film and it became what horror is to me. And it's, it's not a scary movie, but when you see it, when you're five or six, you know, it, it, it did something to me, you know, on a level of like, it's depraved. It's more about like <laughs> horny kids than it is anything else. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm jumping the gun here, but I, I had to pick it because it was the film that introduced me to, you know, the rules, the the kind of the things that we, you know, in a post scream world kind of take for granted. But I, I think it did what scream did before scream even came to be or you know more to the point the the kind of scary movie lampoon of scream so it was a photocopy of a photocopy before the copy even existed Mm -hmm. andy what about you um had you seen this multiple times before at all or Uh, i'd seen it years and years ago um i was probably in my mid to late teens i would say when i first saw it uh, mm-hmm. And at that time, obviously, I'd already seen a bunch of other kind of spoof stuff. I'd obviously seen the uh, Zucker, Zucker and Abrams stuff that Clay was talking about a minute ago. I'd seen other horror spoofs, things like, um, depending on what year I saw, stuff like Dracula Dead and Loving It and <laughs> Repossessed with Leslie Nielsen as well. Yeah. Um, and for me, as a massive slasher fan, this spoke to me more. And I actually thought, upon watching it and having watched that stuff and other stuff since that's been less successful spoof-wise, things, I guess, like the scary movie films, which I hate, and the utter garbage stuff that's out there, like superhero movie. Yeah, like Meet the Spartans. Deceased. Yeah, all that stuff. Like it's just, it's just terrible now, but this spoke to me more as a slasher fan and as a fan of kind of body teen sex comedies like Porky's, um, which uh, there's more than a smatter and a porkies in here, actually. And um, yeah, I just, I, I really liked it. And I actually think it stands above any of those films that I've mentioned there, with the exception of Airplane, I suppose. And But horror stuff, miles above it. Yeah, I, I, I'd already been immersed in slasher films at that point, and I certainly appreciated it more. And I think it's actually quite a clever film at points. I mean, I'm kind of with you, but coming at it from a very different angle, kind of timeline-wise, I didn't see this until today and uh, didn't get into horror until a fair bit later on than both of you by the sense of it. But what was interesting and what was kind of cool for me was that a massive part of the things that I did watch when I was growing up were the Zucker, Zucker and Abraham things that we were talking about earlier on Airplane and things like that. And actually, I've got a kind of mixed opinion on Scary Movie as a series, but a couple of them I really like. And it was really interesting for me to watch this as something that is, like you say, Clay, so far ahead chronologically of all those things and kind of be in a lot of ways a kind of smarter and sometimes funnier take on the conventions and things like that and also i think you were saying that it was one of the first slasher films that you saw or the first one and it's probably a pretty good way to uh, familiarize yourself with the rules given that they come up on the screen all the time (laughs) (laughs) no it's a it's an amazing primer because I mean, it's it's actually cribbing from some of the best and some of the most archaic slasher films. Mm. Like, I mean, anything that's going to crib from prom night, that's an amazing thing to to kind of say, like, you know, happy birthday to me or or Halloween. Like it, it does a, like a almost like <laughs> a shot for shot kind of remake of that kind of first person narrative or you know, the first person kind of POV of of mm. Michael Myers. And, you know. 
if you're going to educate yourself in horror, like this, this feels the kind of like a good kind of gateway because in it, it actively says like the, the violence is so off screen. There's no blood, there's no nudity, even to achieve its rated R status. Like they, they take a moment in that kind of great Zucker brothers motif of like having one of these, like, I guess it's like an announcer or a producer kind of like stops the movie and says, you know, in order to achieve an R rating in today's society, you need to have gratuitous violence, you know, blood uh, nudity. This film has none of those things, but we as the producers would like to take a moment and say, fuck you. And it's just like, it's a, beautiful moment because you realize like this is like the people who make it who are making this film they're at least aware of these movies and i don't know if they're fans they probably aren't but (laughs) it it has enough of a kind of clinical eye towards those films to know at least the people who are coming to watch this movie are and they pay amazing lip service to to fandom in a way that is you know, now watching it, you could be like, oh my God, that's, that's prom night. Or, oh my God, that's Michael Myers. And I, I just, I love the walk down memory lane. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I think as well, um, the fact that it's a Paramount film, what you really have here is Paramount supporting a film that essentially jabs at what at the time was probably its biggest cash cow and Friday the 13th. Yeah. No, totally. It, you know, it's, <laughs> it's amazing because like, you know, it starts off by saying, like, I love that that kind of opening tagline, like the the kind of pre-teaser thing of like they show on the 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 kind of black screen uh, something that says like, what is it? This motion picture is based on an actual incident. Last year, twenty six horror films were released, and none of them lost money. And that's, <laughs> that's that's it. That's what they want to like. Th- like, you know. Uh, they are very aware of the fact that like, yeah, Paramount is, is probably doing this for the money. And yes, you know, they know who their audience is. Um, But I, I just find joy in that. There's a certain kind of glee to it that, uh, uh, you know, for a very particular fan who grew up at a very particular time with this particular genre, this is, it's catnip as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Before we jump in, um, and I think that because it's such a spoof, this is borderline redundant, but uh, Clay, we do make everyone that comes on the show do one thing, uh, mm-hmm. as you may or may not know if you've listened before. Uh, Andy, do we have 30 seconds on the clock? Of course. Um, Clay, what we're going to ask you to do here is for the benefit of anyone who is listening to the show this week without having seen Student Bodies, I'm going to count you in and we're going to ask you to give us your best 30 second synopsis of Student Bodies. How do you feel? <laughs> All right. Here, um, I'm, I'm ready. Okay. Three, two... One, go. Student Bodies came out in 1981 and is a lampoon sending up the slasher films of the era. If you are a fan of Friday the 13th, Prom Night, Black Christmas, Terror Train, or just the general body of work by Jamie Lee Curtis, this is the way (laughs) to go. Before Scary Movie, before Scream, before Scream if you knew what you did last Friday night at uh, whatever (laughs) those lampoons are, this movie takes a Oh, so not bad. Close. Not bad. Not bad. <laughs> I was in. Um, I was in. Yeah. You kind of hit the key points by maybe the 20 second mark. I was just riffing. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I think that you talked about a bit about the opening here, Clay. I think that the opening scene of this is absolutely hilarious. But also, I think that it's a really good, um, it's a very good kind of 
ready Reckoner for what you're about to get. I think it sets the stall out really, really well because, like you say, that that kind of uh, that title that comes up about the 26 horror films being released in last year and none of them losing money. That yeah. kind of it 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 points towards the kind of lampoon that you're going to get, but it's never as cynical as that hints that it might be. I don't think. Yeah, I mean. I- I, I, I know I'm a broken record at this point, but I love the opening segment. Even, I don't know how many times I've rewatched this film, but there's something, like, I'm an also a big fan of Black Christmas, the, the original mm-hmm. Black Christmas. And what I feel like gets kind of parsed out and maybe a little lost with Black Christmas is this idea of the character of Billy, uh, who is ostensibly the slasher, the killer for that film. And uh, you never see him other than a few choice kind of silhouettes or eyeballs, but you hear his voice and so much of what makes Billy and Black Christmas so terrifying are these kind of prolonged telephone segments where he's just like talking to these, these girls in their, their dorm, their, their, their sorority house. And they're really, I mean, you get this like, extremely sexually repressed like like diatribes of this 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 like i i mean i don't even know who this character billy is but like you (laughs) you kind of gleam enough of them to know that you don't want to leave billy alone with his sister agnes but then within student bodies it's basically the filmmakers were saying let's take billy from uh black christmas and just give it nothing but complete id but like a borscht belt Billy, like a, like a kind of like, like a crass lower common denominator version of that. (laughs) And it's, it's, it's for yucks to the, to the extent that like, maybe they were aware of black Christmas, maybe they weren't, but it is like, you know, the character is called the breather. And whenever he gets on the phone or you hear his voice over the, the, the kind of, you know, you never see him, but he's always like, "Eh, eh, eh, eh." (laughs) and it's, it's done. It's pushed so far. The tongue just like pushes right through the cheek that it just like, it, it is it's it's not sexual repression anymore it's just like sexual aggression yeah and like even even to the extent where like in that opening scene like there's a moment where like the the babysitter's talking on the phone and i I know they say it's like drool is kind of emanating from the phone but that is not drool that is that is something so freudian in its kind of like overt I mean, it's semen, it's sperm, it's, no, no, it's yeah, it is ejaculating out of the phone. And like, you're watching this, you're saying, oh my God, like this is, like it knows exactly what it's trying to say. And it, it doesn't care if it has any sense of decorum. It's just going to like, it's just going to go there. And I, I appreciate that. Um, I feel, I also feel like there's a real effort made to, to get a real, sh- it, it kind of tapers off a little bit as the film progresses but certainly in this opening scene the the kind of gag hit rate is bang 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 right mm-hmm. she hears a cat meow and goes outside it's a dog the dog lifts <laughs> its leg to pee on the plants but it farts yeah. um it's just like it's just like one little thing after another and it's done to to set that scene and so you know exactly what kind of film it is that you're watching and then it kind of settles into its rhythm a little bit more but i think that all works to the film's strength this opening scene Totally, totally. And I don't, I'm not like 100% positive in this, but if I'm not mistaken, 99% of the people, of the men that are killed in the film, just the men, 
they're all killed with black garbage bags. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Everyone, all the women are killed with various other implements like paper clips, a horse head bookend, an <laughs> um, you know, like it, it, it goes out of its way to pick the non-traditional slasher weapons. But I just find it amazing that the black garbage bag, and this is, this is what I remember as a kid, like, you know, something about that, that kind of being consumed by this black blob, like, uh, whatever you want to call it. Like it just, like it, it swallows these men who are just horn dogs and, you know, that stuck with me for years, uh, pre-sexual awakening and just kind of being like dreading this idea that like as a boy, you know, my first uh, erection is going to cause like some, you know, deep breathing psycho killer to like swallow me with a, a garbage bag. Um, <laughs> now I'm, now I'm on the the psychiatrist couch here, but that's, that's what this movie has, has done to me. What you were saying there about the, uh, the unconventional horror weapons. And it's something actually that it brought scary movie to mind for me when the breather first kind of comes into the house here and you see the kind of gloved hand gliding over this table of <laughs> classic horror weapons there's like a knife and a gun and an axe and whatever and he eventually yeah he picks up the paperclip and kind of fashions it into a point well the music yeah. gets really dramatic it reminds me of the the scene in scary movie right at the start when um she's trying to escape and uh, she runs up to a table that's got like a knife a gun and a grenade and a banana on it and she picks up the banana and runs away totally. um, see scary movie owes so much to student bodies it's unbelievable yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean to the effect that like the Z- what was it? Zucker, one of the brothers and you know, a part of that naked gun airplane, you know, Holy Trinity came to start. They started doing the scary movies, right? Scary movie 3, yeah. Scary movie 3. I mean, I I feel like it's just the snake eating its own tail at that point. Like it's just mm, yeah. a redundancy uh, you know. But, you know, for this film, I I do think that it it doesn't get a fair shake for having kind of <laughs> been ahead of its time. Um, but it was written by, you know, the kind of creative team behind this one. It's, it's interesting because uh, the person who gets credit for it is this guy, Mickey Rose. Um, yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, he was a writer for Johnny Carson and Dick Van Dyke and the Smothers brothers. And like, you know, like, like going way, way back. And then I think uh, there was like a ghost director, like someone who ended up not taking credit ultimately. Because yeah, I think were... um, it was Michael Ritchie who directed Fletch and The Golden Child. Can you imagine? That's amazing. Like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it just blows my mind. Um, and he, I think there's even like an Alan Smithy credit somewhere in the producer. That is produced by, yeah. Oh, I mean, nobody wants to love this film, but I feel like if you... If you look at it with a sober mind, uh, you can at least see the kind of genetic material for for something that Kevin Williamson or the Wayans brothers or, you know, someone has to kind of pay homage to. <laughs> yeah. 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 Our second Alan Smithy uh, in this, on this show, Mitch. The first one being? Hell is a bloodline. Ah, of course, of course, of course. Um, yeah, I think I think that the Wayans brothers would thank you for that comparison, Clay. Maybe Kevin Williamson, not so much. <laughs> yeah. um, obviously, the first two casualties that we have here are Julie, the babysitter, and uh, her boyfriend, Charlie. In the run-up to this, I think that one thing that really made me laugh, and I have no idea why it got me so much, is the fridge that is absolutely teeming with like outward-facing product placement. <laughs> <laughs> totally. 
all of their product placement. They just did it in one fell swoop. Like they didn't have to worry about the rest of the movie. It was. Yep. There's even there's even a Jack Daniels chalkboard on the wall in the kitchen. Oh god. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it? It's Kentucky Fried Chicken, Coors, uh, right, Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin' Donuts. Oh my god. <laughs> um, uh, after they've both been after they've both been killed, I love it when the couple comes home. See, uh, when you hear them kind of in ADR when the car pulls up outside the house, just being like, "Oh, uh, what's going on in there?" It's like, "Oh, they she better not have been murdered in our bed." <laughs> I mean, it, you could you could make an argument that you could just watch the first five minutes of this movie and not have to watch the rest of the movie. Uh, I or and maybe catch the the tail tail end, which I kind of appreciate. I'd say if there's mm-hmm. anything that was actually genuinely frightening about the film, it's the the end, which gets pretty shiny. Yeah, I guess weird. to yeah. me. Um, uh, but I, you know, not to jump too too far ahead, but yeah, when uh, the father comes home and he like what is it? He puts a rubber band around the chicken that's been eaten because he wants to preserve the the bite of the chicken that's been taken out. It's <laughs> poetry, poetry. I, I love that um, every single male character in this is just absolutely bursting with testosterone. Like it's <laughs> it's pouring out of them in the same way that that substance was pouring out that phone. Um, but I love that not one single man in this film has a condom on them when it's needed. <laughs> but they're willing to walk, like to run out and, <laughs> and get one and come back. Um. Just in time to discover their girlfriend's been murdered with a paperclip or a horse um, head bookend. Actually, I think that one of my favorite lines and one of the ones that I think is kind of funny, because like you say, like I mean, this is a riff on the fact that the male characters in this are always birth- bursting with testosterone, but also there's like a massive entitlement there. And I think it's amazing when he gets back in bed beside her and he says, you're not responding properly to my maleness. <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's just like, it's very clever. That just, um. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't like we we can't drill into every scene as 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 deeply as we're going to drill into the yeah. first one. I don't but, think we should, like, but I do. Not. I do think that I do think that it kind of it does merit a little bit of a closer examination because it's just like you say, Andy. The, the joke hit rate in this is absolutely unbelievable. It really it it you know the hit or miss. Like I I think it it has like a rate of like maybe one out of every five jokes is actually funny. But <laughs> it just it goes for broke and it just keeps on going right. Like they don't. They don't let one land long enough to 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 kind of let it settle into the the kind of subconscious. It just moves, just you know, no time like the present to make an ass of themselves. I mean, there maybe is an element of throwing enough stuff at the wall, then uh, some of it's bound to stick, kind of thing. But I mean, me and Andy were watching this not in exact synchronicity with each other, but we both watched it today, and um, our text conversation in the run up to this was just us sending lines back and forth to each other, making us laugh. I think that like there is a lot of stuff in there that really works. We haven't talked about the stick. Um, yeah, the stick, Malvar. I, I think he's he's kind of a find. And if you go to his IMDb page, you realize that this is, you know, beyond like a couple, like a TV sh- appearance. Like he he never did anything. But um, yeah, you know, it's an obvious nod to say, like, you know, of course, this is suspect number one. Um, but they have fun with that. They know at a certain point that no one's going to really think that Malvert is the 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 mm. the killer um but this guy and i i think his i did a little digging in his name is patrick boone varnell okay yeah. he had yeah. he had to be like seven or eight feet tall uh-huh. <laughs> and double jointed like able to kind of like bend his arms and twist into like pretzel like contortions and 
nothing is quite becoming or fetching on this this gentleman, but he is a sight to behold. And uh, he he really sinks his teeth into his role with no acting chops whatsoever. No. No, I mean, he he's quite willing to get, I would say, down and dirty in this film, and he does. He plays it, like, we were talking earlier about things being lowest common denominator, and I feel like a lot of that does come from Malvert and his bodily functions, his relationship with women, and his blow-up doll. <laughs> he just leans really heavily into it, all the while being this weird guy who kind of looks like skin stuffed with coat hangers. Yeah. And, it's one of the most interesting and striking characters. To me, he, he reminds me of Matthew McGrory, who was in films like Big Fish and House of a Thousand Corpses yeah. and stuff, who mm-hmm. had a different condition, but was a really striking presence and was gone too soon. And I feel like this guy could have, maybe should have done more because he has that bizarre, bendy physicality that's really interesting, particularly later during the prom. Oh my God, when he's dancing around. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. I want to talk just generally about that, because, I mean, we've talked a lot about how uh, this film riffs a lot on horror cliches, but it really digs in on kind of like high school comedy cliches and things like that as well. We talked about the kind of horny teenager element, but like right at the start, kind of when we cut to the school and the the double funeral um, (laughs) and the principal talking about how kind of uh, all the major events have to happen on the same day because of budget cuts. And then he reels off like the big game, the big parade, the big panty raid, and now the big funeral kind of thing. Like, um, and the kind of the cheerleaders being there at the funeral and stuff like that. I think like all this stuff is a, a kind of a mixture of being very silly and very perceptive. It knows what it is, and it it knows who is going to be watching this film. And at the end of the day, like I I, I feel like if we're the five people who have actually watched this film, um, <laughs> you know, it is amazing how I I do think that like probably the filmmakers just watched every film and said this is this is what we're going to pluck this is what we're going to take from like carrie the shining i mean like it's it's so kind of bald in its its theft but it does it with enough of a cohesion that like it makes me feel very sentimental and like i i feel like i'm like watching a mixtape of my favorite movie moments Mm. but like i i don't think that an audience today will have the same kind of fondness or sentimentality for scary movie or, or even those, you know, the superhero movie or any of the other kind of like cash cow, you know, uh, amalgamations of, of whatever lampoon films are. Um, mm-hmm. They just, I don't, I don't think they strike the same chord as this one does, but maybe that's me being a little protective of student bodies uh, over uh- the, the the more current crop i don't know i think that there's something in that i think that um there was this spell especially in the noughties i think and kind of like around about the turn of the previous decade where the standard of like for one thing the the spoof kind of market was incredibly saturated but it was saturated with stuff that was almost exclusively total garbage to the point that i think that like that as a genre has had a real kind of damage done to its reputation now i think that like it's hard to even kind of what like i don't feel like a lot of that kind of stuff that came out around that time was even trying to rip on, riff on things in an affectionate way. It was basically just trying to like remind you that things existed. Yeah. Like the, hu- <laughs> the, the humor works in a totally different way or not at all, depending on your outlook. So then Student Bodies, which was at least 20, if not 30 years ahead of that curve, I, I still think it's a, a hot plate of garbage but it has, it's like matured. It's almost like it's kind of like mellowed into its, its kind of taste. And I, I don't know if that is because of the film itself or just the kind of 
patina that we put around all of these slasher films. But like, I just love the fact that like, you've got night school, you've got prom night, you've got happy birthday to me, black Christmas, you know, Carrie, Halloween, Friday the 13th, you know, if you could of themselves, you kind of blend them together and you just kind of spit it out and you get student bodies and, and porkies, you know, you're totally right. Like it's, it's there. I, I just feel like the sum of its parts kind of transcends its little details. It's little increments. Yeah. I mean, like I'd, I'd, I'd be inclined to agree with that. I, um, I kind of want to take a second just in general to talk about, um, the breather as a villain <laughs> sure and uh without without jumping too far ahead um to kind of talk about the the fact that the kind of eventual unmasking of the breather is a complete logical fallacy within the rules of the film yeah yeah i i, th- I think that um again considering the like i kind of feel like there it riffs on a lot of stuff but it, it riffs really effectively but i get again i think that as a character i think it's like i think he's really funny but again, it's one of those things where the the, the humor feels really low as common denominator. I was kind of laughing in spite of myself, especially <laughs> a lot of the early running stuff. Uh, you know, where you kind of you kind of laugh and you kind of curse yourself, kind of chide yourself for laughing at it. Are we allowed to do spoilers here? Like, is this? You, oh, uh, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh yes, I mean, yeah. Like he, this movie out scream scream before scream even comes around. Like the two killer notion. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like I I don't think. I, I'll I'll give Kevin Williamson a pass. Like I I know that he probably did not watch Student Bodies and find kind of inspiration in this idea of like not just having one killer but having a, a double up. Um, you know, of course this film has like three twist reveals at the end, and that's before you even get to you know the the Wizard of Oz on TM ending. Um, <laughs> but like it it totally like it does the like the double up. And I don't know for sure. It like has back in the eighties or the seventies. Was there a film that had two killers? Like, was this is this the first? Can we say that? Andy, I mean, it's quite possible. What I would all, off the top of my head, nothing sprang into mind. But I would say there's a lot in Student Bodies which Scream has lifted from. Like, obviously, the very very early running of the first scene is all Halloween. Yeah, but then there's moments when the parents come home. It's very similar to when Drew Barrymore's parents come home and scream. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of scream in here, and I'd be very surprised if Kevin Williamson said he hadn't seen this. <laughs> very surprised. We're calling you out, Kevin. We're on to you. Yeah. Where you at, Kevin Williamson? <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah, I, I mean, like it. I mean, yeah, there are a lot of scream moments, and I, I, I don't want to come after Kevin Williamson too, too much, but it is, it. it is. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I do think it is easier. The The lowest hanging fruit is definitely Scary Movie, which had no bones about like wanting to to kind of rip into the cliches and the, the break the rules. But I don't know. I, I feel like seeing those two killers, I was like, wait a minute, where have I seen this before? And I was like, it's Scream. Like they did the whole thing. And then she wakes up and it's all a dream. <laughs> do, do you know what I really like about The Breather? There's a moment where he breaks the fourth wall and speaks directly to the audience and basically runs through the list of who the suspects are and who ultimately he is. I really like that. I really like when a film has the balls to just... Like like uh, when we did Gremlins too much, when mm-hmm. a film has the guts to kind of stop halfway and uh, put the control of the film in the hands of, a, I guess, an unreliable narrator mm-hmm. and give them free reign to talk directly to us away from the standard narrative of the film. 
Uh, yeah, it kind of reminded me of the werewolf break in The Beast Must Die. Right, okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> deep cut for Mitch Brain. I know, I was going to say it. Yeah, that, like, that, 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 is, that is one deep cut to compensate for all of the extremely shallow cuts that have happened in the previous 100 episodes or more. It's not. It's not, I know. It's not enough. It's nowhere near enough. No, no. But yeah, I, I think it's really funny as well. I, I didn't see it coming, but I love the fact that it's not just a suspect list. There's, it kind of like riffs on and kind of heckles all the characters as well. <laughs> yeah, one of them, what is it? One of them's like an English teacher by day and an English teacher by night. <laughs> is it there even like a, there was like a sign language moment, like where the, the, yes. like, the the serial killer like with his gloved hands kind of breaks down like signs whatever the the kind of monologue moment is like it just has it just has fun i it's, it's a fun movie yeah. it definitely is and i think that's one of the moments for me that didn't land quite as well like i think the second time he stands on chewing gum i was like oh for fuck's sake yeah you you could totally compress this movie into like a 25 minute amazing short but i feel like that we might lose moments like the the parade, <laughs> which I think is a total, like, I think Eli Roth must have loved student bodies oh, yeah. because of uh, yeah. Thanksgiving. his Thanksgiving yeah. segment. It's, you know, it's a bit chicken and egg, but like when you realize the kind of like the cyclical nature of the horror genre, like I think student bodies is such a kind of, <laughs> it's a great mirror, mirror in a mirror to, to kind of uh, lose yourself for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think if you were to take like you said, like compress us down to thirty minutes or so, forty minutes for me, a good portion of that is going to be taken up by Mister Dumpkin, the the woodwork teacher. Oh my god, yes, about Hallshead bookends. Yeah, and the scene where Toby goes to visit the psychiatrist, the school psychiatrist. That's fucking hilarious. See the bit where she the bit where she's crying and he hands her the box of tissues and he says there's no tissues in it and she dabs her eyes with an empty box. Uh, <laughs> And then later dabs her, dabs her eyes with a pipe as well. I thought it was hilarious. I, I was screaming during that scene. Uh, same. Uh, I actually, yeah, that, that was actually the next thing that I wanted to talk about. I think that uh, the scene with the psychiatrist when he's like, oh, uh, don't be so formal, call me daddy and all this stuff. Just absolute nonsense, but like <laughs> incredibly funny, I think. <laughs> and then she talks about how uh, sexually repressed she was growing up and the warnings she had around uh, relationships, particularly involving her father. He's like, no, no, no. Don't call me that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's really fucking funny. Like it's in isolation. That scene uh, is probably my favorite scene in the film. Yeah, scene. same. It just goes for broke. Why? Why wait for for a joke to land when you could just tell three more? Um, but that <laughs> the kind of hits per minute and in, in the the that scene are definitely worth it. Um, but also. We should kind of note that none of the people who acted in this film ever went on to do anything else. Like it is, no, like no. they are. It it is beyond unknown actors. It's just like complete obscurity. Um, excuse me. The actress who played Toby went on to be a dancer in the video for Centerfold by the Jay Giles Band. <laughs> so, wow. So uh, how about You're you like just the king of deep cuts today? <laughs> so, strong knowledge. How about we all just fucking step off? All right. <laughs> I stand uh, corrected. And Patty, yeah, yeah, Patty, the prom queen. She's now a lawyer. Really? Wow. Entertainment uh, law, like uh, civil law, like what, what? Family court? Like I'd be curious. Like she's going after Kevin. Wait, she's going after Kevin Williamson for intellectual <laughs> property theft. I'm going to throw my hands up. I don't know what field she went into beyond the fact that she's a lawyer. Right. Okay. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I feel like it's kind of unfortunate that, you know, none of these actors, you know, with a lot of slashers, you're kind of guaranteed that there's going to be that one, you know, third string victim that will kind of rise up the ranks, the Kevin Bacon's or the Holly Hunter's or the Jason mm-hmm. Alexander's. But like, I feel like this film got an unfair shake and, you know, maybe it, it was because it was a comedy, maybe, I don't know, but uh, nobody, uh, you know, short no, of no. Uh, Jay Giles. Um <laughs> What are you to do? I noticed, Clay, that you mentioned two actors who got quite big through the burning there. Yeah. Fisher Stevens was also in the burning. That's And who true. could forget his masterful turn in Brownface and the two short circuit films. Oh, my God. And he loses his fingers in the burning. That, 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 uh, mm-hmm. Those clippers come down pretty quick. Yeah, I I love, you know, that's the fun game that we play kind of retroactively of like, oh, my gosh, there's Holly Hunter in the background or like, you know, who's... Who's that in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3? But for whatever reason, like student bodies, like I want to find one of these people. I want to find Kristen Ryder or Ritter, <laughs> however you say her name. And, and, and you know, just ask, like, you know, like somebody has had to do an interview, you know, within the, the last couple decades of this film's existence and, and just kind of like tried to like get to the bottom of like the experience of student bodies and i there needs to be like an oral history of student bodies because i'm i'm sure nobody will speak favorably of it but i still believe that like it needs to be acknowledged as ahead of its time at Definitely. least ahead of marlon wayans time <laughs> if not uh, kevin williamson if we're not going to say kevin williamson we have to say marlon yes agreed yeah agreed I think that a lot of the way that this kind of pulls together when it gets to the kind of prom sequence is totally bizarre. But just before that, I think it's really funny when she, when she comes back from the psychiatrist and they read the diagnosis over the tannoy. <laughs> 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 just so everyone's clear. But um, a lot of the stuff that happens at the prom, I think, again, it's like really rapid fire. And I think that it's one of those things you need to rewatch to catch everything. But um, I want to talk about the off-screen death of uh, Patty. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> Purely because the sound design, I felt like the 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 sound design for when she dies off camera is very Zucker and very airplane. When she dies and uh, she's kind of advanced on it, it looks like she's going to get stabbed or something. But the the sound effects are like a hail of gunfire, sirens, and explosions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not a smart movie, but like it, <laughs> you know, imagine being ten, maybe seven. Let's say seven, and watching this film and just being like, wait a minute, that's a dog. And yet it sounds like a cat. Like that's a, <laughs> that woman is being stabbed to death, but it sounds like, you know, a Tommy gun. I don't know. Like when, when you think of the first time, when you think of your first time, uh, <laughs> it, like it's, it's Shakespearean in its absurdity. Like I, I, and this film does, <laughs> does achieve some surreal heights. Like I do want to say that like the, the whole kind of running through the, the, the school late at night during prom, that, that surreal quality that this, this film kind of achieves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it. With Mrs. Mumsley in a motorized bin and <laughs> Mr. Duncan chasing her, throwing horsehead bookends yeah. at her as he runs. I mean, it's, it's not Kubrick for sure. But it's a hot take. Carry on. Yeah. But I mean, like, you know, if you just think of the Shelley Duvall kind of racing through the overlook, it does kind of achieve almost a kind of more heightened kind of surreal quality than The Shining actually does. I'm not saying it's better than The Shining. I'm just saying that it, it like it goes there and goes just like a hair or two further. 
I, I can't remember, like, I don't think there are any mascots, you know, filleting men in tuxedos, but like it does, it does have a, a certain, like, you know, it, it, it just feels like that, that moment with the shining and the, like all the dead people coming out and the garbage bags hanging from the, the ceilings. Like, I, I don't know. It, it was crazy. It was crazy. What I like about the two killers thing is that although the, I guess we're spoiling everything anyway, but Mr. Peters is kind of unmasked as the main killer. I think it's hilarious, by the way, when he takes all his clothes off and she's like, oh my God, Mr. Peters, you're naked. And he's like, yes, all these years I've been secretly naked under my clothes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I love that when the second killer uh, is revealed, she reveals that she's been killing the boys without his knowledge. He's been killing the girls and leaving. And then she swoops in and gets rid and offs the boys in the black bags. That's kind of her thing. And he had no idea. It's amazing. <laughs> and it makes sense. Like on a, on a kind of quasi narrative, logical level, like you can see that, you know, if you want to go back and kind of follow it, like, you know, it is pretty succinct in its uh, garbage bagging -ness. Those those garbage bags haunt me. I'm gonna have garbage bag dreams tonight. I can tell. Absolutely. Do you know what haunts me? During the weird trippy dream sequence at the end, there's a moment where the principal pops out of a room and he's got black balloons on his fingers, <laughs> kind of wiggling them and making this weird noise. And yeah, I found that to be quite upsetting. Yeah, we may as well kind of touch on this now. Actually, the kind of the scene where because we've talked about it going a little bit shining, but the scene where she's kind of fleeing is absolutely bizarre and so much of a tonal kind of uh or a tonal and kind of visual sore thumb to the rest of it no i think it becomes you know later you realize that she's had like what a swine flu fever dream yeah yes believe so yeah <laughs> yeah and you know talk about being ahead of its time geez like absolutely you know, yeah, yeah yeah this is this is the time to watch student bodies but no i i mean i think that like if you just take that last kind of penultimate you know chase scene you realize that like i want to accredit it to uh the shining but maybe there's something else like it does you know of course there's prom night with um jamie lee curtis and her her brother oh geez i just spoiled that one but um <laughs> I, I i do think that like it it kind of plays to that uh it's not goofy it's not it's it's not silly but it, it's it almost has a kind of like high school haunted house vibe to it where like you can see the kind of duct tape holding up the garbage bags or like the there's absolutely no production value to this so like everything feels kind of like student production at that point um but i think that's what adds to its charm excuse me clay someone had to make all those horse head <laughs> fuck i can't even say it horse head horse head bookends <laughs> Yeah. Just in case there's someone out there who has watched this film and wants to cry foul, I do think that this is a very racist film. Yeah. I mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That is that was my only reservation of uh suggesting this film because uh it wholeheartedly falls victim to its own time period and being one of those eighties films that like mercilessly makes fun of the the foreign exchange student and that to me does not age well at all no i mean i, th I think i think like you kind of a lot of the films that we do on the show are from this kind of era and it's 
relatively often we kind of come across stuff like this and i think that you do just kind of have to just take a step back and acknowledge it and just kind of be like in the middle of all these things that work very well there's the odd thing here that is kind of a product of people not being so savvy or kind of so so aware at that time and as a result there's elements of this that have held up poorly i don't think that you can like you should necessarily discount the whole thing because of that but i think it is worth kind of just taking a kind of a wee sidebar to point that out yeah and i would say that scene with the the exchange student, the African exchange student, is probably the worst example of this. There's other things that haven't aged well, particularly around disability and mental illness. Again, Mitch. Yes, uh, yep, yep. Particularly, I mean, obviously, the character of uh, Malva, he's in on it, but it's it's not a particularly favourable portrayal. No, um, and even, the, I guess, the, the quite lovely but also slightly insensitive relationship between the blind guy and the guy in the wheelchair, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which I quite like because it makes me uh, think of things like see no evil here, no evil. Yeah, it's a it's a, a rough kind of prototyped Gene Wilder and Richard Bryan, <laughs> um, maybe without the talent. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the racism is just on full display. But like, I, you know... It is also kind of of its kind of raunchy sexual kind of depravity. Like, like it is a, a kind of a product of its time. But I, in a weird way, I, I want to say that the film kind of embraces that and should be almost honored for its kind of sexual depravity. Not to get in trouble here, but I, I do feel like because of its, of the porkies and the, the kind of raunchy teen comedies of the time, like it, it, yeah, meatballs and um, yeah. Animal House, things yeah. like that. But I, I almost feel like it's kind of an equal opportunity offender where it's not just victimizing women. And it, it it's oddly rather chaste in its depravity. Uh, there is no nudity unless, I'm not mistaken, right? There's no, there's nothing nope. in this film. No, nope. um, even when even when the breather's looking through the hole in the, the shower room wall, I think everyone has their underwear on. Yep, but it, it looks at the idea of premarital sex and uh you know misguided youth and you know the the kind of sexual awakening of these these horny teenagers and uh just really lacerates it like i don't think we we learn anything or there's no microscope here to society at large but i i do think it's it's making a point that could maybe elevate it just a little bit beyond some of the things that that don't kind of transcend at this point such as the racism and the yeah. the look at uh you know handicaps it's yeah i think it's it's an equal opportunity offender and should be mm-hmm. applauded for such yep something for, something yeah. to be said for that for sure absolutely it, it points out the the toxic nature of sexual repression which you know if you get to the end you know it does the final girl kind of motif of uh just when you think that uh our our protagonists are you know our final girl is is out of the you know, she's out of the clear and she's going to make it. She succumbs to her own libido and lo and behold, death awaits. Yeah, I think we may as well talk about this now. Uh, kind of after she wakes from the dream and we realize that everybody from reality has been, or almost everyone from reality has been kind of reappropriated a different personality in uh, <laughs> in the dream. Um, ap- apart from Hardy, uh, her friend who she kind of, she kind of gets with. And uh, I love the fact that right when they're kind of about to, uh, have sex in the woods when he turns around with the breather gloves on despite the fact the entire thing's been a dream he still just turns around and says i'm the killer <laughs> <laughs> which if you think about that moment like that guy 
he weirds me out through the whole movie because he's, you know, he's the f- best friend, the the kind of almost boyfriend, the like the like the decent guy. But I don't know, man, he like my radar was on him <laughs> from the get go. And when you get to that end, like he's so creepy and like it, it, it goes beyond being scary and is actually really like. I don't know, man. That that's like bad touch st- territory, as far as I'm concerned. And like, he's he's really nasty in a way that's like, uh, like don't walk down a you know a dark alleyway with that guy. Yeah, I hear that because he'll For walk sure. you home. He wants to take your books and like, it, but like at the same time, you know, like inside, he's like having masturbation fantasies, and he's just like, yeah, uh, like take your books and your life. <sighs> yeah, yeah, creepy guy. Mm-hmm. He eventually dies as well, of course, after he kills Toby, or at least we are, we are to assume that he does, because he gets the carry treatment right at the end here. Yeah, one hour later at a funeral. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going record as saying, like, I think this does the carry moment a little bit better. I was never a huge fan of the, the, the carry, the, the, the button in carry, but here it works for me for some reason. And maybe that's the knowledge of carry, but like, I don't know, like it, it, just kind of plays more in this this sandbox than it did at the end of De Palma's film for me. That's no a one's take. Gonna, no one's going to agree with me. You're you're just going to let me hang on that one. That's my I'm dangling by a thread. Yeah, I'm just going to just going to let that hang in the air. <laughs> <laughs> Student bodies is better than Brian De Palma's Carrie. Clay Changed Sayer. my mind. Podcast. <laughs> That's going to be the pull quote that we use on all the promotional oh, stuff for this podcast. No one will ever believe me ever again. Um, this this was a really, really fun pick. It's also, if not a first, then certainly something that we haven't done very often before on the show, in that we haven't really spoken that much about films that are already comedies. Yeah, um, I mean, part of what we do is we take films that are gross or sometimes even serious films and we try to see the absurd things in them. But when you're given something that's overtly absurd, you kind of need to come at it with a different perspective. Uh, and that was something we certainly tried to do here. But yeah, it is, it is rare. Yeah, Clay, this is the one of only a few selections in the, the entire pantheon of the show where uh, we actually had to have a strategy meeting before we came on to do this, being like, oh, wow. we can't talk about this the way that we normally do. <laughs> Man, well, I'm... Thank you for humoring me on on talking about it because uh, when the call went out, like I, this was the first film that came to mind because it's the only one. I I don't know, like I do think it doesn't hold up unless you look at it in a very specific way. Mm-hmm. But when you do, it it kind of shines. So yeah, I I I'm a fan. It's a it's an utter piece of shit film, but uh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I watched this for the first time today and have seen a lot of spoofs that have followed since then and also have now seen at least a decent amount of the stuff that it's kind of riffing on. All that considered, I think that it says a lot that I found this to be so kind of fresh and for me to like it so much more than a lot of the kind of spoof stuff that's followed since. I, th- I think this is really, really good. I, I think that everyone should watch this. <laughs> there you go that was going to be my question mitch would you recommend student bodies clearly you would i, yeah, I would absolutely. as well yeah. yeah i think i mean this this just falls perfectly into my wheelhouse this is everything i love about films that i love i, I feel there's a real desperation about more modern spoof films like where it's it's almost like you've got to laugh at this this is you've got to find this funny right surely and it doesn't really have that i think at the time it was coming off the back of 
some of the biggest spoof films of all time, but it lacks that cynicism that these more recent films have got towards it. I think that's quite refreshing for me. It's the scary movie films done in a simpler time with zero expectation. I mean, this was Paramount putting out a film that they wanted to put out. I think it was in the middle of a director's strike or a writer's strike just to keep doing stuff. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Watch it. Clay, you have won everyone over here. So um, <laughs> uh, just like before before we let you go to kind of uh, bask in the afterglow of that, let's talk a little bit about what you have been up to. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the other ulterior motives about picking student bodies is recently I, I wrote a novel called The Remaking, and it is... Yeah. Uh, it, it's out on Quirk Books, came out in October. Paperback will be coming out maybe this year, as long as there's still a publishing industry alive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but um, basically, the remaking is a ghost story kind of told and retold four different ways and kind of reinvents itself every 20 years. So the first part is, you know, takes place in the 1950s around a campfire. And then part two is the 70s drive-in low-budget horror film version of that same ghost story and then part three is the sleek modern 90s scream style kevin williamson remake of that 70s movie (laughs) and then finally by like 2016 it gets to the the kind of true crime podcast uh, that brings it all the way back around to like get to the roots of the real story of what you know what really happened and uh, around the the campfire. So um, yeah, uh, I have um, I've I've just started reading this. Oh man, you're still talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like, so I'm I'm kind of hoping that in a couple of weeks' time on the podcast I'll be able to talk in uh, in more detail about what I think of it. But it's uh, I, I'm I'm pretty intrigued by it so far. I think it's uh, it's a really great idea, and I'm really I'm really keen to see where it goes. And I think that um, so far, anyway, I would say that our, a lot of our listeners will be into it as well. Nice. Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. Well, thank you. I you know it, all bets are off. Uh, keep the bar low. Um, <laughs> But uh, I mean, I, I love it. Like I, I had so much fun writing it. So there's this other film, uh, you know, of course, Scream is a, a total, you know, riff, but uh, the 70s version of it was there's this film called Let's Scare Jessica to Death, which came mm-hmm. out in yeah, yeah. 71, 74 or something like that. And I love that film to death. And uh, I I wanted to emulate that in the the, the second section. So I don't know if you've gotten there yet, but that's think think that when you're reading it. Um, okay, so. it's in my future. Done. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I I have it, but I'm sitting question. I'm like, when can I ever get a minute where I don't have a baby? You have a seven month me. old. I can't even imagine. Then that's like yeah. reading goes out the window. Every, every time I open a book, I fall immediately to sleep. <laughs> um. Also, uh, you want to talk a little bit about Curse of Carnage? Yeah. Um, so I, I've, I write for Marvel and uh, Marvel gave me my, you know, I've written for, gosh, uh, Spider-Man, The Avengers, Deadpool. Um, mm-hmm. And last year I got to write a one-off for the, the Absolute Carnage series that they were doing. And that did really well. So they, they gave me the keys to the car for one of their characters named Scream. She is, uh, uh, they are a symbiote um, 
uh, from the the kind of venom carnage yeah. family tree. And uh, I've been writing for Scream for, you know, issue six was supposed to come out, but then everything got put on pause because of the sure. coronavirus. Uh, but uh, five issues have come out and hopefully, you know, six will be out as soon as they're making comics again. And hopefully it'll just keep on going. Very cool stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah very amazing. cool stuff. Clay, where can people keep up with you on social media? Is that a thing that you do? I do. I do. I totally do. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Usually, uh, you know, if you just Google Clay McLeod Chapman, uh, my website's actually claymcleodchapman.com. Um, but I'm out there and very, very Googleable. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Clay, thanks so much for taking the time out to do this with us today. And uh, thanks for bringing student yeah. bodies to uh, the table, partially because I really enjoyed it and partially just because it pushed us out of our comfort zone a little bit as well. <laughs> <I'm> gonna, <laughs> yeah. the, I, let's just end on with the breather and they're like, <sighs> thank you very much for having me on, guys. <laughs> Perfect. I did that terribly. So a nice little change of pace, that one, wouldn't you say? I would say, and um, do you know... It's weird, and we have done things that are funny before, um, things that spring in mind, maybe like Ice Cream Man. Yeah, or like Nothing But Trouble. Yeah, but I mean, there's no, we've never done, I would say, an out-and-out comedy. Yeah, and certainly never anything that's a spoof on this kind of level either. No, 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 and, and for good reason, because if someone suggested any of the scary movie films, I don't know if I could allow it, but this certainly... I, I felt it was important because I don't think enough people have seen student bodies and I think that they should because I, th I really think it sets a precedent for the films that came later, th like films that I mentioned like Repossessed and Dracula Dead and Loving It and certainly the scary movie films and all the crap that came after that. I am a, I didn't know that you had the level of contempt that you do for the scary movie films. Oh, I hate them. I absolutely hate them. I saw the first one in the cinema. Mm -hmm. I saw the second one when it came out video shop or whatever the fuck it would have been at the time and I hated it it's one of the closest I've come to walking out of a cinema the second um, one you know Chris Elliott's character the kind of butler character uh yes yeah I couldn't couldn't do it that's uh, fair really yeah really struggled with it and I've struggled with it any time I've tried to watch them subsequent times um but to me it's just real bottom of the barrel shit and I know Clay was saying that he feels like on the whole, that student bodies is quite quite shit. But I, I disagree. I would watch student bodies over any. Like I know Clay mentioned Shriek. If you know what I did last Friday the thirteenth, again, mm -hmm. garbage, garbage. Give me student bodies any day. Um, I haven't seen that one. I've got very specific opinions about the scary movie series. I like the first one, don't like the second one, like the third one, don't like the fourth or fifth one. That's right. I'm one of the seven people who saw the fifth one in the cinema in the UK. Well, you'll be pleased to hear that there's another one coming down the pipeline. Ah, is there actually? I believe so. Oh, God. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that the standard of spoof that we've been getting in general for a really long time has been quite bad. Um, mm. And I, th I think that like I think that, that kind of stuff really did hit in the deer when you were talking about things like Meet the Spartans and Date Movie and all that kind of stuff. And it was a real kind of find for me to find something that was obviously that ahead of the curve and like from that long ago that hits the mark so much more than those films. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's crazy in a film that presumably had no very little money. No. And it wasn't made by these guys who were known for making spoofs. It was a bunch of guys who got together because Paramount had to put out stuff that was non-union in the middle of a strike. So this is yeah, yeah. this is the result of that. And 
I think for that alone, it's it's admirable. Yeah, I think so. I I, I totally agree. I think uh, I think this is a great film. Or I think it's certainly it's certainly a lot of fun. I'm not gonna say it's a great film, but it's really fun. And I think that a lot of people who, if you're listening and you haven't seen it, and it's kind of piqued your curiosity in any way at all, I would say that it is worth your while going back and have a wee look at it because uh, it's got a, it's got a lot going for it. And not least, just that it's really really funny. Yeah, and it's available, like I said, on the Slasher Classics collection from 88 Films. And I think it's also rentable on Amazon Prime. That's where I got it, yeah, it's rentable in there as well. But I guess that is just about it for another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What will the future hold, Mitch? What what new challenges will we face? Maybe we'll get round oh, to Men Behind the Sun. <laughs> you, ne- you never know. Maybe it'll finally be time to do that lolworthy episode on Men Behind the Sun. <laughs> You know, we've been sitting on it for long enough. It's like Troll 2. You have, your comedy podcast has to do it sooner or later. Absolutely. you got to treat that one with real kid gloves, though, I think. Absolutely. That's a fucking way of putting it. Um, we will be back on Monday, of course, with another mini-sode for your ears. We'll be doing all the usual stuff on there. We'll be taking a look at what we've been watching. We'll be taking a look at My 90s Side Quest, which uh, is kind of casting its nest pretty far and wide at this point. Right, yeah, yeah. It sure is, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've got some got some big ideas. Some big ideas. Whether I'll follow up on them or not is anyone's guess. I'm pretty inconsistent in that way. I'm more of a dreamer than a doer. When you say big ideas, I mean, what, are you going to turn these 90s films into a book? Or... <laughs> yeah, I mean, how big, how big are you dreaming here? Mitch's big book of cinematic ignorance. <laughs> Two volumes, things I've seen, which is a pamphlet, and things I haven't seen, which is a fucking phone book. Yeah, yeah. I think An old just... school phone book, because phone books are like pamphlets now. I think that the main volume will be things that I haven't seen, and then there'll be like an addendum, things I've seen. <laughs> On top of that, we will, of course, be taking a look at your feedback and we will be playing Mitch's Pitches once again, as well as turning our attention to next week's episode and letting you know everything that you need to know for that. In the meantime, by all means, get in touch with us if you've got anything to say about anything, if you've been affected by any of the issues discussed on the show today. <laughs> by all means, get in touch with us. Um, Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC and you can email scenes at gmail.com. Can I write the foreword for your book? if you'd like perfect excellent thank you uh yeah strongvalentpod.com that's our website that's where mm-hmm. you'll find everything that you need to know yeah podcast providers merch links an empty space that will sometime be occupied by live shows yeah when we're allowed to be in the same room breathing each other's air laughing yep. together drinking together yep. making direct physical eye contact yep mm. when outdoor fun is legal we are coming to touch your faces glory days man on that charming note, we will be back this Monday for another mini show. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Bye. Extremely nihilistic ending. <laughs> <laughs> See you Monday. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.